0: Calling All Senators, Outbreak 2020, Super Bowl commercials, not just on game day, and we deep dive on personal communication style, what works, what does not. All this, and the Navy names its latest carrier, on this week's Three season in a Pod.
1: Three season in a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication.
0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Bashan Mann, and with me on the show are Chris Cervello and John Schofield. We thank you for coming on board with us. For more of the Provision conversation, follow us on Twitter and give us your thoughts at ProV Advisors. That's P-R-O-V Advisors. Or you can check us out on the web, www.provisionadvisors.net. As always, we look forward to hearing from you. First up, we start with Rearview Mirror. This past week, the Navy named its latest aircraft carrier. Chris, your thoughts on this?
2: Well, I'll set it up briefly. This caught a lot of people by surprise. One, given who it was named after, Doris Miller, a hero from uh, the Pearl Harbor attack. Doris was a um, messman, uh, somebody that worked in the in the galley, essentially. Uh, and when the planes were attacking uh, the battleships without any direction, came up to uh, the exposed deck grabbed an anti-aircraft gun that had been abandoned uh, because people had been killed and without any training immediately started firing back at the Japanese zeros as they were attacking Pearl Harbor after quite a bit of conjoling uh, the Navy recognized that heroism giving him the second highest award that somebody can receive they gave him the Navy Cross um, and so this caught a lot of people, um, I-, I think by surprise, given that it's not a traditional aircraft carrier name one, it, he, it will be the first aircraft carrier named after an African American, um, and that it doesn't fit the normal naming convention. It's not a president, it's not a Senator, it's not a battle or, um, sort of a stately ship name based on what I saw. It was met with, uh, quite a bit of excitement and, um, quite a bit of acceptance, given um the heroism associated with dory miller's uh, acts so if you're secretary modley or if you're navy leadership I-, I think this is a win what do you guys think john
3: i really liked the move by the navy number one uh a, a very happy belated uh, martin luther king day um that we celebrated this past monday and i thought that the uh, naming of the uh, carrier in and around the Martin Luther King weekend was a really good move. It, it stands in stark contrast to the names John C. Stennis and, and Carl Vinson, who were noted segregationalists. I believe that they handled this very very well and it's a gutsy move to uh, to start breaking down some of these barriers um, and and have a, a name like Dory Miller in our in our fleet. I think really, uh, sends the right message to everybody and and I think it really got a lot of press good press
0: yeah I uh, I sat with it uh for a minute and just you know obviously watched the the Twitter response and and other social media uh folks responding uh, to to the uh to the name uh, of the ship you know what when you look at the traditional quote-unquote traditional uh, naming of, of our of our Navy ships and there's this protocol of of what deserves an uh proper uh, a name uh, aboard a ship. I'm very happy or or I guess it's a bit of a w- a weight lifted. I don't know if that, that that's the right term that when you talk about John, you mentioned uh, Stennis and, and, and Vincent those names um, you know the, the the tradition, the rules of how uh, ships were named came under the same rules that said, Black people could only be mess stewards. So you know what? I'm okay with breaking protocols. It's 2020. Let's break a lot more protocols, all right? Uh, and let's understand the fact that there's a whole lot of Dory Millers out there. And I, maybe I shouldn't say a whole lot, but there's a there's a good number uh, of Dory Millers out there. Uh, people that uh, perhaps deserve recognition for something and were either pushed aside or just uh never never recognized uh to begin with. Um and I and I again I I know we should probably keep this short but I, I look at the lessons of my father when he talked about the Negro Leagues and its relationship to Major League Baseball. And if we're going to say that, you know, b- before uh Jackie Robinson became the first black player to break the color barrier, if you were to say like, oh, well this person, whomever, Babe Ruth or whoever, uh was the greatest in, in baseball, mm well, if there were no black players that he was playing against, just just how great was he? I just put that question out there, right? So, I just put it under the underneath the same umbrella. Is this on par
2: with a, a Jackie Robinson like breaking of the barrier, from from your opinion? I mean, I don't want to oversell it, but I mean, is
0: it is it on that level? I d- I don't want to say that it's. Uh, I hesitate to say that it's on the same level. It's just a threshold. Another threshold that we've gotten through, that we've gotten past. Um, You know, Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier meant more to a nation writ large in terms of how baseball in American culture is. When we talk about ship naming, uh, it's a little bit of a different context because uh, I'll just be honest with you, John mentioned the segregationist background of Vincent and... um, and stennis, but there's ninety five percent of black people that don't know that. Okay, how about from a standpoint of
2: African American sailors um, in in that context, from a cultural standpoint in the organization, um, is it significant?
0: I believe it is. I mean, one of the things I thought about immediately was, man, I if I were in uniform, I'd like to I'd like to serve aboard that ship, uh, and I definitely want to be at, at some of the the ceremonies surrounding uh, the launching of the ship. God willing. But, you know, to to your point, I spent a lot of time on the E-ring, right? And in the the CNO's corridor. And I look at the pictures. They don't look like me. So we still got a long way to go.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah, we do. I'll finish it off by saying um, really credit where credit is due out there to the people in Hawaii who pulled off a really huge event uh, and a really special event for the family. Um, the public affairs staff and uh, you know, the legions of PAOs have probably had to work for, for weeks and months in order to, to get that done. And I speak from the standpoint of someone who ran the naming ceremony for USS Gerald R. Ford. And I remember being in the room uh, with Secretary of the Navy Don Winter when the final decision was made to, to name CBN 78 after Gerald Ford. Um, you know, at the expense of other names that were really pushed for by advocacy groups like USS America, uh, which Chris and I remember very well. We were on the desk when we decided to sink USS America off the coast of North Carolina for a weapons test. Um, So choosing a name like Gerald Ford over a name like America seemed a bit quizzical, and it was kind of a hard PA sell at the time. I believe this was an easy PA sell and, uh, and a great PA victory. And again, I take my hat off to uh, Acting Secretary Modley and, and his group uh, for, for pulling off a really good event. All
0: right, continuing to uh, look in the rear view, I'll go to John. Uh, what did you see back there?
3: Uh, well, I'll, I'll just jump on the Houston Astros uh, train again. Uh, a lot of activity in this uh, topic from when we last potted to this morning. Um, and It's almost come full circle, and I think Major League Baseball is hoping that it's it's played as much as it's going to play. But since we last talked about it, the videos of Jose Altuve um, not taking off his jersey when he hit a walk off, of other players with uh, tape, yeah, you know, that was possibly covering uh, a transmitting device, um, allegedly, know, allegedly, um, and and then from there, yeah, you know, the 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 players then. Uh, had a fan fest, which was very oddly timed. Uh, don't know how hard it is to reschedule a fan fest, but it probably would have behooven behooved, sure, benefited. Easy for you to um, say. Benefited the uh, Houston Astros to um, to reschedule that because uh, Bregman and Altuve certainly did not um, did not conduct themselves very well from a PA standpoint and how they messaged their way out of. Uh, this issue and this issue since we last talked has been revealed that all of these players who now apparently were much more involved in, in a intricate uh, cheating operation received immunity uh, from major league baseball. It's a decision that commissioner Manfred is now dealing with uh, you know, and it's, and it's tough for them, but you know, when you're, when you're in receipt of immunity and then you have a fan fest and You've got a game at a crossroads where a lot of people are wondering just how clean these dudes are. Um, It wouldn't hurt you to say I'm sorry. And not once did Alex Bregman or Jose Altuve say they were sorry. In fact, they committed what I believe and what we all train our clients to understand is kind of a a PA no-no, which is just adhering to your talking points almost in a robotic and emotionless manner. And that's what they did. And I thought it sucked.
2: We spoke earlier in the week about it, and uh, I think it would have been very easy for the Astros players to candidly say, hey, look, everybody on this team is willing to do whatever it takes to win in the name of you know, the Houston fan base. We watch film, we take supplements, pour over the metrics – uh, and in this case, maybe we went too far, and uh, and as such, we've uh, we've let down the fans and we've let down baseball. But there's a lot of talent on this team, and uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna make sure that we show just how talented we are and just how deserved we were of the 2017 and follow-on victories. That would have been pretty easy, I think. Uh, I think they really let their clueless and arrogant way shine through. I don't know that there's much that that you can you can do. I, I, I think that spring training probably will help this go away. People will be focused on pitchers and catchers pretty soon. They'll be focused on who's where or who didn't sign or who's hurt, who's not. But right now, it's just uh, it, it's pretty ugly
0: for the Astros and for baseball. Our, uh, I, in terms of production, I I, I failed the show because the first call in guest we should have had was George Mann who I who I spoke with um once the uh once the Mets news uh came out last week um as a someone uh, who was a part of the not gang back with the Brooklyn Dodgers um under Jackie Robinson um he was he was upset he he was as a as a baseball fan he was upset and I pushed him on it because I the argument of well hasn't stealing signs always been a part of baseball and it was it was like well this is just a bridge too far <laughs> and so um, but to you know just to hear it in his voice and of course he he was obviously upset about the uh, about the Mets losing their manager um, and so. I think that was that was part of uh, his 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 angst.
2: But I give the Mets a lot of credit in making a hire pretty quickly, um, and, and I, I would have and would recommend that the Astros and the Red Sox do the same. I mean, the longer that it lingers, I think it's it's uh, it allows stories like the Houston Fan Fest and you know what happened and who knew what to occupy the space. If you hire a new manager and you move forward. Um, you know, you really send that message that, hey, we're focused on the 2020 season.
3: Yeah, but I don't, I, I think that you have a problem here, and I'm talking to Commissioner Manfred, that they still have a lot of chapters of this book left. They haven't announced the, the conclusions or the completion of the Red Sox investigation. They haven't announced what they're going to give uh, Alex Cora, um, despite the fact that he's already lost his job. So they've got other PA problems out there on the horizon. They're coming. And and so we we talked about going ugly early, um, you know, in the context of this issue when, right. when we first brought it up. And and now they're just gonna have to go ugly and then go ugly again and then go ugly again. And I think that, you know, you guys brought up pitchers and catchers coming soon. And i I believe uh, that unless they turn on this really, really fast that this will this will color the arrival of pitchers and catchers and and um, and I don't know what the Red Sox investigation is is going to reveal, but it's going to be tough for that team and and I hope that they learn um, and there's no video evidence of their them wearing tape or transmitters like Altuve and Springer and and Bregman and all those guys. But I really hope that the Red Sox organization, which I think is top-notch, um, uh, that that they learn from what the Astros didn't do and that there's just a little bit of contrition and a little bit of reach to a fan base that, that you know, I think the Red Sox fan base is a little bit more high-maintenance than the Houston Astros fan base, not to cast dispersions on Houstonians. But, yeah, you know, the, the Red Sox fans, I don't think are going to take talking points. They want to hear people like, J.D. Martinez or Mookie Betts, if he's still a Red Sox after this week, um, come out and just say, hey, we effed up. We're sorry. The game is more important than this bullshit that we were doing. Let's move on and push this game forward. Um, I just don't know if that narrative exists out there.
0: I'll, uh, I'll wrap this up here so we can keep it moving. One thing I will say, the one date I'm looking forward to this baseball season, is going to be July 26th up in Cooperstown, New York. So uh, rest assured, I'm going to be in attendance. All right.
3: And her her sandman.
0: <laughs> Listen, um uh, before we close out on Rearview, um we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the uh the elephant in the room, the the 800-pound gorilla sitting there in the corner. Um I don't know where you uh, may have been uh, across this uh this week, but we're now entering the fourth day of the um impeachment trial in the Senate. So, um you know, it's kind of difficult to gauge uh where America is. Uh, on this um, I've tuned in uh, for a little bit each day uh, to listen to uh to some of the the house manager arguments uh, as well as um, commentary from from White House counsel uh, I last night I, I caught uh, a little bit of Chris Matthews commentary saying that well here's the, here's the deal here's what here's what I want I want either uh, a Republican to jump up and say hey you know what Something something was wrong, and we need to have we need to have the witnesses. We need to hear from the witnesses, or we need to have a democrat Democrat, excuse me, jump up and say, "Hey, you know what? Uh, the writing's on the wall. Uh, we don't have the votes, even though our argument has been presented the best way we can, uh, and let's move on for the sake of the country." And I was just I was just sort of staring at the TV, and he's like, "But we know that's not going to happen." Um, so, I mean, again, and not to make light of the seriousness of what's, what's happening. Um, but you know, you look at, uh, senators leaving the, uh, leaving the corridor for, for longer periods of time than perhaps they're supposed to leave. Um, you know, are they taking it seriously? And, and it's, uh, it's kind of hard to gauge and, and just sort of taking the temperature of, of the American public. Um, are they paying attention to this thing or, or, are there just other fish to fry out here as we go about our daily lives? I'll, I'll leave it to you guys. I think
3: that there's fatigue, and we've talked about oh, that yeah. umpteen times. And people are fatigued by it. It's um, it's an ugly event in our history. We've, um, you know, we've made several impeachment articles part of our uh, articles of the week series, which we'll talk about a little bit more, but um this this is a really important moment in history and yet at the same time it seems like an incredibly farcical time in history um not that i'm apathetic i just i i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and plagiarize what a good friend of mine uh joe Plensler, put on twitter this week which is hey, I can watch it or I can not watch it, but I I can do simple arithmetic and I know how this movie ends. And and unfortunately, I think that that's where a lot of, not only Americans are, but where um, our elected officials are. And that's just the nature of partisan politics today. I dabbled around with the idea of writing uh, an op-ed directed at Governor Hogan, who has been an extremely moderate Republican and oft a uh, critical evaluator of President Trump. And and it's not so much of a secret that Governor Hogan is eyeing Chris Van Hollen's Senate seat uh, to be that rare Republican senator from a very blue state in Maryland. And I, wanna, I, I wanted to toy around with the idea of writing, what would Senator Larry Hogan do? What would he do in this situation? Would you be that voice of reason? Would you rise above uh, just pure partisan side-taking? Um, I'd like to know that and because people like him um, and other and other moderate Republicans across this country who are not senators have been disturbingly quiet during this time and it just makes me feel like people are number one detached and that number two they know how this whole thing's going to end.
0: Chris you want to weigh
2: in? Yeah I think John in a in a microcosm I I think you captured um, two things. One is the first level of what is a, a multi-level chess game between the Republicans and the Democrats, and, and that is the, the votes and the, the vote tally and how is this going to end. Um, but the second thing that I think you really hit on with your comments is the difference between the other impeachment case that occurred in our lifetime and, and that of President Clinton. Mm-hmm. As I was driving over here, I took the opportunity uh, to ease some guilt uh, and listen to MSNBC on the car uh, because I haven't been tuning in uh, as much. Um, And, and, you know, listening to John Meacham and Chuck Todd and a few others fill air before the proceedings start for the day. Mm One of the points that was made, and I had kind of forgotten about it, is the Clinton team got to the place where they were okay with Democrats coming out and criticizing the president's behavior um, as a way of kind of easing their own guilt or being able to look themselves in the mirror. They were okay with fellow Democrats in the Senate chastising Clinton for uh, poor behavior, uh, poor judgment, poor fill in the blank. That doesn't exist today. Our president is not okay with anyone from his party criticizing publicly. And that puts us in a tough spot. It puts the Republican senators in a tough spot. It puts those senators that are going to go back to their home states and run tough races in a a tough spot. Um, I I think most Americans probably at the end of the day get that this is going to be a vote along party lines. But I think where folks that are moderate or thoughtful – have a hard time is that there has not been that criticism, that spanking publicly of President Trump for what most reasonable people would agree is something that he did uh, that was inappropriate. Whether it's impeachable or not, okay, that's one thing. But it was inappropriate. And so I think... I would want what I would want of Larry Hogan, what I would want of any Republican uh, senator uh, that was mine, I I would want them to chastise the president on the floor of the Senate to say, hey, that was wrong. And that just isn't happening.
3: Well, particularly not. And you're seeing it with uh, others. They're actually doubling down in the other direction. I'm talking to you, Martha McSally. Uh, where you know they're actually becoming more and more divisive in their rhetoric. And and I'm referencing Senator McSally's you're a liberal hack jibe at, at the reporter who's asking just very simple questions about the impeachment proceedings. There are people like Martha McSally out there who they, they believe in their own minds, if I can put myself in their mind, that they need to double down on the partisanism because they're looking at really tough re-election campaigns. Martha McSally is staring right down the gun of hopeful Senator Kelly uh, running after her seat. People like Cory Gardner in Colorado, people like Susan Collins in Maine. You know, they, Instead of being that voice of reason, um, and all three of those people I have respected as politicians uh, in the present and in the past, less so in the present now, but they can't afford to do this because they're too busy, if I can steal from Michael Douglas and the American president, they're too busy trying to keep their jobs that they're forgetting to effing do their jobs. And their jobs, I believe, as elected officials, are to levy criticisms when criticisms are merited. And, and that's just, it's hard for me to, it just, it's hard for me to deal with. It, it frustrates the shit out of me. And I think I speak for a lot of people.
2: I just want to add one one other thing. I mean, we talked about sort of those first two levels of uh, multi-level chess. I think the third one revealed itself this week. For the first time, I think, the impeachment process and the 2020 election merged, uh, the Democratic primary uh, election merged. Um, At least it merged uh, in a big way for me. One is the fact that um, the Senate... Uh, Those candidates that are sitting senators had to come back to D.C. while the proceedings uh, carry on. The second is Joe Biden seemed to find his mojo this week as criticism and discussion of his son and what role he played in motivating President Trump to do what he did. There's very much the the two news events are are linked uh, together as that occurs more and more, I think that it, it will help the Democrats. I think the fact that they were divorced was not a good thing. Um, I think that as people become frustrated at that second level of chess that we just talked about, and if people like Biden are able to make statesman like statements and positions, I think it will definitely help their cause.
3: Yeah. Let me finish really quick before I toss it to to bash to close it. That, I really do believe, bringing it back to the root of why we do this podcast, which is the communication strategizing, um, this impeachment proceeding is going to affect a great many events. Um, will this go through and still be going on during Super Tuesday? Will it, go, will it be going on during the State of the Union address? Will it still be going on if you are a communicator out there looking for some stick for your press release or for your narrative? I don't know how long this is going to take. I know that it'll be somewhat farcical throughout the, the entirety of the proceedings. But um, how, how will this affect um, the, the gravity of, of other events that usually steal the show? Um, because this, this has all the appearance of, despite the apathy that we were talking about before, I think it still is just the only thing going on. Uh, in the news, other than the Massachusetts police catching the serial pooper in um, in, in oh, Natick, oh, that's, that's yes. good. It, it, it happened this morning. It just came over. This is huge news. Breaking news. Breaking. Whoa. On on that note, um,
0: took a look back, and uh, when we return, we're going to deep dive. Um, stick with us. You're listening to Three Seasons A Pod.
1: Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead.
0: We're back. Thank you for sticking with us. It's time to deep dive. Uh, we have spent um, a lot of time on this podcast and, and then really just across our careers, gentlemen. Uh, talking at length about the relationship uh, aspect of communications, um, how we communicate uh, up the chain, how we communicate down the chain, and then how we communicate with those uh, very important people, the reporters that we work with. Uh, we have seen a couple instances here over in, recent, uh, in recent news where perhaps um, the way PAPR professionals uh, engage with those people um, that are going to be um, putting out the news that, you know, that that back and forth relationship of uh, of how we communicate, where that has been strained or, or it's moving in a direction uh, further away than perhaps we would like to see. I want to hear your take on what PA professionals, what, what they are expected to do, and then what is the expectation of reporters out there, journalists, who are looking to us for uh, for facts, uh, for uh, credibility, and 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 news in general? So, uh, and just sort of, there there are some do's and don'ts in that relationship and that PA relationship uh, that I feel uh, we need to address. So, I, I'm going to put that into the out to the floor. Uh, whoever wants to jump in first, please do. Have at it. Let me lay a foundation in the arc of our two decade plus.
2: Uh, careers as communicators. I don't remember early on in that two decade arc. I don't remember the relationship whether it positive or negative being very well known outside of the immediate group that knew the reporter or knew the communicator. That that is to say if a reporter and a communicator got along, I don't know that people really knew about it. it that wasn't really part of the story if they didn't get along. It also wasn't part of the story. The audience. The audience. Got it. And so I think with the advent and the popularity of social media and tracking with just the general tenor of the politeness and productiveness of the dialogue between professional communicators in the media, that has become more and more a thing. Where a reporter will call out uh, either a communication team or an organization or an individual communicator for not doing their part in that symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. A- and also uh, communicators will show distrust, will, will show distaste, will show um, anger towards reporters or organizations when the reporter or the organization hasn't held up their end of the, of the relationship bar- bargain. That has really become, um, I think, more and more of an issue as uh, as the president has either capitalized on it or has taken it to another uh, destructive level. It's hard for me to, you know, sort of chicken and egg, right? Did Trump make this bad or was this already bad and and the president capitalized on it? So it's it's kind of w- with that foundation that you see example after example of either communicators or reporters um, being more and more caustic with each other publicly, making it very difficult for that symbiotic relationship to be the norm. John,
3: this is a lot of uh, social media. Uh, If, if the Avenue or, or the medium of Twitter did not exist for these back and forth barb exchanges, uh, would we be talking as much about it? I can tell you right now despite the fact that we flex uh, very hard in our training to our clients that your relationship with the media is is almost half or, or more than half the battle when you're trying to get your your story out and you're trying to deal with a crisis or you're trying to uh, push a narrative um, I have many times exchanged, testy emails with editors or with reporters uh, when they get a story wrong or when they make a decision that I found quizzical as I'm advocating on behalf of my command or, or a particular company. And we've we've often had, despite the fact many reporters are some of my closest friends, uh, I, there have been a lot of occasions when um, when I've pushed back and had nasty exchanges with reporters. The only thing happening now is that it's happening more. I would have that testy exchange with a reporter, but I wouldn't CC a million people. I would have a one-on-one, like, "Hey, man, like, you, you, you definitely played around with the quotes here, and I thought that was irresponsible." Or I, yeah, you know, Twitter now CCs everybody, and it and it airs your dirty laundry on levels that that I don't think we can even quantify right now. So. Yeah, the the real thing that brought us to discussing this was an exchange between CENTCOM and and uh, NAP reporter uh, regarding this much ballyhooed issue of of were there head injuries or TBIs uh, from the American service members from uh, the Iranian uh, rocket attack or were there not? The the president said that they were fine and sort of. Cast it aside is not a big deal. And then it was revealed that some of them had TBIs. And, and if you want to rev up you know, the angry veteran base, you start you start minimizing the importance of, of what TBI is and what it means. Um, and and it, it's just that a lot of people are pissed off. And as, and as the AP reporter was going back and forth with CENTCOM about clarifying what was what, uh, the PAO you know, basically just said, hey, I'm not going to play this game. Um, which, again, it, it, is that wrong to say? I'm not saying it's wrong to say, but, Bashan, you and I have both taught at DINFOS, and the first thing that is like the cardinal rule that you learn on day one is maximum disclosure with minim, minimum delay. But it doesn't say maximum disclosure with minimum delay and really good manners. Um, that's just implied, and that's just a communication style. And like Chris said, are we being more caustic are we being more confrontational because Trump has sort of made that the new norm or not? I'm not sure
0: when I saw that particular um, uh, instance uh, there from from the AP uh, and and some other um, instances where reporters and, and PAOs uh, have had some testy exchange uh, exchanges whether in public or, or whether I've seen it uh, in private. Uh, it makes me think of something my mother told me a long, long time ago, and that you catch more flies with honey. You know, and you talked about the the good manners, the the way in which we engage with people on a on a human level first, the respect level. And I mean, look, sometimes things are going to get tense uh, in the in the the business that we were in, uh, as far as the DoD. Um, there are, there are going to be some, some heightened instances, uh, where, where tempers, tempers, excuse me, easy for me to say, uh, will get in the way. Uh, and sometimes you have to, to sort of take a break, uh, and let cooler heads prevail. Maybe, maybe this is why I didn't go, uh, I don't know, further in, in my military career, uh, because I decided to take a bit more of that milder approach you know just a mild mannerism as i would say i was calculated or i tried to be calculated in my uh engagement with
3: with reporters that should be um, your new llc name mild mannerism
0: mannerism so um so i was i never wanted to be combative uh with uh with 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 the press uh if they didn't see where i was coming from or the point i was trying to make um you know i i laid out what i had to lay out and then moved on um and 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 maybe that that was that was to my detriment Uh, you're making a (laughs) thing
3: well but it it comes back to what we were talking about with the houston astros do you have to have like it's the work you do on the front end to minimize the questions that get you to that frustrated point of saying, I'm not going to play this game. So I think what we would advise people and what we've done in our past, I think all three of us and, and a lot of our um, yeah, peers, the, practice the role of being really good at your job at the front end. And, and if the Houston Astros were really, really good at their job on the front end with this, they wouldn't have to answer tough questions on the back end that then get them irritated and cause them to say, "I'm not gonna play this game," or Alex Bregman being really like really confrontational and and standoffish um you know do the right thing at the beginning and then you don't really have the road that you were talking about where where you have to be confrontational,
0: yeah, I had a um and I won't name his name, but I had a conversation with a, a reporter uh, this morning and it had, it. the conversation was simply, the, the fact that we were able to have the conversation and go to the depths that we did was because it was, there was an established relationship with this individual over a period of years and the reporter reached out to me on a level of respect that he knew I had and that I had with, with with him. Now look, I have seen this individual go high and right several times uh, in my presence, uh, but you could always come back to center on, on, on the issues. Uh, and so I, I just think the relationship building aspect of being a PA is always at the forefront. Yeah, but I think a lot of that has changed
2: right now. Um, and we touched on this a little bit uh, when we talked about the Politico article and had President Trump, the, the era of Trump, changed government communications or military communications right. forever. If you're a government reporter, you know you work at the Pentagon, you work at the, um, the the White House or wherever, you really feel like either you're being stonewalled or lied to every day. And I think if you're a government communicator... You feel like you're being put into an impossible position, whereas in many cases you're being asked to say something different, get out ahead of, or put the president in a negative light. And I understand transparency and I understand the principles of information, but there's only so many times you can be spanked as a government communicator before you don't want to play this game anymore just to sort of zoom out a little bit, I, I worry that from a government standpoint, I worry that that we're in it together relationship between the reporter and the the PR person or the PA person. Mm-hmm. I worry that that is, is not going to exist in the future. I, I worry that that so much damage will have been done, number one, or number two, that those relationships that you just mentioned will not take place that fostering of relationships will not occur and therefore the entire dynamic of how we communicate will will
0: change dramatically chris i i i hear everything that you're saying and i just really hope that that ain't the truth i i see it i see what you're talking about because we 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 this is the world that we're in i see it every day um and man what can i do what can we do what what sort of reach back needs to happen in order to make sure that 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 that, that doesn't fall out the way that it does that, that that it's deeply concerning i mean at the end of the day now
2: lying or bending the truth or not sharing all the facts is the norm for the us government unless that changes the relationship with the media is going to be changed for forever
0: right
3: Right. Yeah. And I don't I don't know how that does having a new president change that does having a, a democratic regime in place um, after the next election. Does it change that? Does having a more uh, you know, structured, um, you know, less lord of the flies atmosphere around DOD, uh, which is a product of the Trump administration, does that change the dynamic? Is it all just because there's a just a small void or vacuum of leadership um, at key positions in in military and government public affairs? Uh, it, it's, I, I think it it's it stretches across. It's a broad brush uh, that stretches across all of these issues. And and like you guys said, I just don't I don't think it gets easily solved. I think it gets worse before it gets better. And like you said, Bashan, I I really hope that's not the case, but unfortunately, it might be. Chris, go
2: ahead. Um, we, we've said before that occasionally uh, Rear Admiral Charlie Brown, the head of the Navy Public Affairs community, uh, l- listens to this show. And, and I, I don't know. It's been a while since we've spoken to Admiral Brown, so I don't know if he still listens. I, I don't know how Admiral Brown r- runs a community of communicators or if you're the head of the other services and your job is to not only communicate on behalf of your service but to raise and mentor and instill values in a young officer and enlisted corps i have no idea how they do that charlie brown is a is a great person um is a is a even better communicator but i can i cannot imagine what his day is like Um, having to deal with this and having to, you know, deal with the tactical battles, but then be cognizant of the lessons that the younger folks are taking away from this. Uh, It's just uh, mind-boggling.
3: It's the age-old issue of balancing what your personal values are, uh, what you believe professionally, and what you have to do in the name of the chain of command. Um, And and you see a lot of people in the Trump administration, their easy answer is, well, you know i'll just leave my cabinet post or i'll just resign or you know and 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 choose to not deal with this that's not necessarily an option for someone like charlie brown and i'm not saying that charlie fundamentally disagrees with the chain of command above him but with that kind of environment espoused by certain leaders in his chain of command you're right it makes it really really hard to go in there and balance you know the the care and feeding of a community that needs him to empathize with their plight and train them to do their job right but when training them to do their job right almost stands in stark contrast to what they see at the higher levels of the chain that's when in and day yeah, out like like pummeling them with constant presence and and seeing like this derisive um and and divisive scenario um it, it's a leadership challenge and i i i'm with you i i wish him luck in navigating it
0: well, rest assured, we are going to continue to examine it, dissect it, and talk about it. Uh, with that, gentlemen, um, I'm going to say, folks, stick with us. We're going to come right back as we look out on the horizon. You're listening to Three Season in a Pod.
1: At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior-level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success, We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity.
0: Welcome back to Three Seasons Apart with Provision Advisors. Gentlemen, let's look out on the horizon and what the days ahead may bring. John, I'm going to start with you.
3: So, I Am Legend is upon us, Um, the coronavirus, uh, and I'm poking fun um, using one of my all-time favorite movies, but this is, I hope, not as serious as it seems to be right now, but if you have not heard amidst all the other noise of Oscar noms and Oscar snubs and baseball cheating and the impeachment trial and... Super duper snowstorms in Canada, um, the uh, coronavirus coming out of China, and and I believe that they've uh, indicated that it's now found its its origins in two different snakes in China, which just has all of the feels of a Hollywood movie, like the snake born I am legend virus that's coming across on airplanes from from mainland China into the United States. We have our first case of coronavirus in the United States, and And again, I I think that it's something that I'm looking at uh, on the horizon is uh, how does the CDC communicate about it? How do we communicate with our allies? Um, How do we continue to uh, react but not overreact? And if we overreact, are we overreacting with empathy um, in terms of quarantining people or uh, not letting planes land in the United States? Uh, It's a... It's kind of a scary thing, and um, I, I I always look at these issues as um, things that give us perspective about what's important in life. Uh, that that our health, uh, collectively as as a human population and the health of our of our planet, uh, should always be at the at the forefront of of what's on our mind. So. Uh, That's on the horizon for me. Um, Also, uh, put in a plug for our articles of the week, which we do at the end of every week. Um, Keep an eye out for those. Some really good articles about um, having your own personal communication style. A really good article from Fast Company. um, And and also a great op-ed by Doug Lanville, the former Philadelphia Phillies uh, and ESPN commentator, um, who wrote about baseball's existential crisis because of the Astros and uh, Red Sox cheating. So that's on the horizon for me. Uh, if you really want to be depressed and, and look at a gloomy future uh, with tomorrow's rain and D.C., just hunker down and watch I Am Legend on on repeat. Chris, how about you?
2: It's almost Super Bowl time. Uh, this is that uh, dark week in between the playoffs and uh, when the Super Bowl happens uh, next weekend. I don't remember ever seeing as many Super Bowl commercials slow rolled out as we have uh, this year. I I thought it was really cool that perennial fan favorite Budweiser, what they were doing on social media in terms of getting followers and then guaranteeing that they would uh, either DM or tweet at you to um, see their commercial as soon as it rolled out. It rolled out on the 23rd. It's quite interesting to see, I mean, we've talked before about how this is such a, uh, a huge marketing opportunity for brands it's uh it's interesting to see how brands are taking advantage of this uh this dark week uh, to get a jump start on their Super Bowl marketing efforts want to continue to track this and see if it benefited to see how much money they actually had to spend or if in the end there's a net positive in terms of you know are they able to spend less money by getting a jump start or if they do spend more money is there more eyes on more impressions more benefit in in doing this so that that's what i'm taking a look at and i'll uh, i'll second john's uh plug for the the clips of the week Uh, this is something that we're trying to do more of uh as john said we'll do a weekly clips product and we'll share five or so clips that caught our eye across the issues that we track day in and day out and that each have a, um, a communication tied to them. So uh, look look forward to whatever feedback
0: uh, folks may have on that. Chris, I'm going to keep it on the subject of the Super Bowl and just take a little bit of a turn here. Uh, I'm starting to see, listen, the Super Bowl is going to take place on February 2nd. So here in uh, just about a week uh, from now. Um, but I want to make mention, uh, you, you've got the uh, Kansas City Chiefs taking on the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, And it seems ESPN is taking uh, a little bit of a tact that's somewhat strange to me. And I'm just going to lay it out right here uh, on this podcast. I'm going to jump on my my soapbox here and just say that the last time the San Francisco 49ers were in the Super Bowl was in 2013. All right. Super Bowl 47. And they were led by a quarterback by the name of Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, no. (laughs) Colin Kaepernick, number seven uh and no matter how much e s p n tries to erase that fact or not show footage of, of of that is really a problem It's really a problem and um i'm just here to, to to make it known for anybody who 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 may who may look you may disagree you may agree um but that's fact all right Colin Kaepernick was a successful n f l quarterback who led his team to a super Bowl, and that's not going to change so folks. I wish the teams good luck. I'm picking Patrick Mahomes, by the way. But as uh, in in the rollout over the next week, what I'm going to be looking at, you know, over the course of this week is just how much ESPN either includes or excludes Colin Kaepernick's role in the San Francisco 49ers' last Super Bowl appearance. Anyone care to comment?
3: Well, yeah, I... I think you'll see very little of him um, and that's just the way it's it's been and and we can we can try to channel our own uh, you know Jamel Hills here and and try to beat the drum as loud as we can for the for the obvious ridiculousness of this whole thing but I think that there's no shortage of storylines that they can focus on other than um, well it the, the, t- the last time a team was in the Super Bowl is oft not discussed anyway but I think they'll be even less motivated to discuss it because of uh sort of the black sheep role that, that Kaepernick has played and and that's just that's just the way it is um and and it like we keep saying not to sound defeatist but it's like the new normal and and I'd be interested if 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 I were the San Francisco 49ers do you invite Colin to stand on the sidelines does he accept that invitation to be on the sidelines? Um, He gave your organization an awful lot, kneeling or no kneeling. Um, And, and if I'm an astute sports reporter this week, uh, I asked that question um, as to whether they would invite him. And I would ask it of him, whether he would accept the invite.
2: Yeah. I I don't, I don't care about Colin Kaepernick. I mean, I I don't think he should be kept out of the, the footage, but I mean, I'm, I don't care when the San Francisco 49ers went to the Super Bowl last, and I'm focused on this game. And I only say that because I, I think there's probably a market out there that maybe feels the, the same way that, that I do. I mean, I'm a fan of football, and would it would be a good story for Colin Kaepernick to be able to come back and play and succeed. But um, I, I don't have a problem with him being left out of this discussion. Uh, on the flip side, I, I also don't have a problem with people that want to make him part of the the discussion. I mean, that's unfortunately that's kind of what this week has become. I mean, where you sort of dig for stories to to talk about. I mean, shit, they're playing dodgeball at the Pro Bowl this week, apparently because, very well, right? Yeah. Because they've got to fill time. So, I mean, I get your frustration, but uh, as a fan who is pretty excited about watching Patrick Mahomes play against the 49ers defense. I, I personally don't have a problem with Colin Kaepernick being left out of the discussion.
3: Well, then let me ask you guys a question. Let's just play a small um, experiment here. Um, if you are the PA advisor to the NFL and you're sitting in a in a boardroom and and you've already got the national anthem singer, you've already got Shakira shaking it shaking it during halftime, you've got all these things, and someone brings it up, hey, what if we ask Colin Kaepernick to... Do the ceremonial first coin toss. Um, you know what? What's the pa? What's the pa advice uh, in and around that idea? Because you know they're sitting around like, you know, spitballing, see what sticks to the wall. Like, what would be the advice for or against that? Because I would say, I would consider that as you know, a a real sign of trying to heal the divide and and possibly something that helps them in the eyes of a certain demographic who watches it. I also know there's a certain demographic. They were wearing tactical gear and marching upon uh, Richmond, Virginia on Monday that probably doesn't give a shit whether Colin Kaepernick's out there. And it would probably irritate them even more that the NFL embraced him back into the situation. So what would your PA advice be? Yeah,
0: that ship has sailed. Yeah. Because the NFL numbers are if not there already they they're just going back in the upward trending direction so yeah the 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 ship has sailed the fact that as i saw one there was one instance that i saw already where they completely omitted the fact that San Francisco went to that super bowl they went back to 1994 as the last time and so that that deliberate Omission is is what I'm referring to. Um, sure, it's, it, it doesn't have to be a big story about, you know, when's the last time that either team went to the Super Bowl. It's going to be a bigger story to me, um, th- Andy Reid. And, and, and is he going to get it? Uh, and I just honestly want to see clips of Andy Reid. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's what I was
0: say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, we're tracking, we're tracking. At the end of the day, oh, that man. that punt pass kick footage of Andy <laughs> <laughs> Reid just never gets old. It never gets old. hold, anyway, on, hold on before you go. go, ahead, though, go
2: I I can't help but and I don't want to belabor this. I'm watching the the clock tick up, but um, I think the biggest thing beyond the kneeling, beyond the overt or covert i'm stealing uh language from john now yeah love it um racism that's associated with colin kaepernick I, I think at the end of the day the nfl thinks he's he was not that good at the point in which he stopped playing jim brown had the same issues and was able to heal his divide with the nfl there are other players that have had social friction between the owners and the um you know and their personal beliefs and they've been able to come back home because they were good, they were elite, they were great, whatever the adjective. I think at the end of the day, people don't think, in addition to the discrimination, I I just don't think people see Kaepernick as something the NFL can't live without. And as long as they feel that way, there's going to be no healing, there's going to be no come back home uh, Colin. I mean, they'll just grind him into the ground like they do for every other sort of average to mediocre player that put some time in and then went off
0: and did something else. Yeah, it's uh, and 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 that always amazes me the um, the discord or the the disparate feelings uh, between uh, players and coaches alike uh, in terms of where they stand uh, on that. But hey, look, um, I'm getting into the weeds. So I know we got to get out of here anyway. Uh, and I know we'll do, we'll do another show uh, uh, before uh, the Super Bowl so we can talk a little bit more in depth about uh, what we hope to see uh, on and off the field. Uh, folks, listen, I want to thank you for uh, joining us here this week uh, on Three Season Pod. Uh It's been fantastic. Great discussion. Uh, hope you tune in for more. Listen, folks, we want you to have a great weekend. And until next week, as we always say here on the show, be good, be safe, and be better than yesterday.
1: Thank you for listening to Three C's in a Pod. Have a great week.